This is Tending Seeds, a podcast about my adventures in homesteading and herbalism. I'm Sarah Schuster, and I'll be your host. Thanks for being here today. Hey, friends, I have another awesome interview for you today that I am super excited to share. I know there has been a huge increase in folks adding indoor plants to their homes, especially over this last year. For new plant owners, caring for their indoor plants can be a bit daunting, especially as they head into their first winter with them. So I am super glad to have been able to have Tyler Thrasher come on the show today to talk us through it. Besides taking care of your indoor plants over winter, we also dive into the inspiration for Tyler's beautiful plant journals, his thoughts on the state of the plant market today and plant Instagram, why he no longer talks about plants being rare, how to get started propagating your own plants, how learning to propagate plants increases accessibility, encouraging plant diversity, and so much more. Just a quick little note that there is a tiny bit of adult language in this one, so maybe pop on some headphones if if you're listening to this at work or around folks who would be offended by that. A little bit of housekeeping before we begin. I just want to let you all know that elderberry syrup and fire cider are back in our online farm shop. Our elderberry syrup is made with locally grown Tennessee elderberries and lightly sweetened with organic maple syrup from Baird Farm. We also decided to add a tropical citrus twist to our fire cider this year. So in addition to the traditional fire cider ingredients, we also added pineapple, orange, lemon, and hibiscus. I am beyond pleased with the flavor and excited for you all to get to try it. I think it's my favorite batch yet. As usual, you can find show notes for today's episode, which will have links to all of Tyler's great projects, including his current pre-order for outdoor science adventure kits that look really cool, if I have to be honest. The big news here also is that I'm actually going to be doing a giveaway to go along with this episode. I have one of Tyler's Propagate Goodness tote bags that we'll be giving away along with a bag of my winter wellness tea blend. To enter that, go ahead and follow the link in the show notes. It's a public post over on our Patreon. It's public, like I said, meaning you don't need to be signed up for the podcast Patreon in order to enter. But in the words of Matthew McConaughey in Dazed and Confused, it'd be a lot cooler if you did. (laughs) Seriously, though, a big thank you to everyone supporting us over there. Go check out the giveaway and check out Tyler's projects also. The giveaway will close on November 19th. All right, I think that's it. Let's go ahead and get into the interview. I hope you all enjoy it. Tyler Thrasher is an artist, chemist, botanist, explorer. He grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he spent most of his childhood exploring his father's greenhouses and even living in one for a brief period of time. Tyler makes it his day-to-day goal to share the things that excite him and encourage both adults and children to explore the world around us and experiment as much as we can. Tyler, thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited to talk to you. Yeah, Sarah. Yeah, thanks for having me on. (laughs) Yeah, this is awesome. I've been following your work on Instagram for quite a while. I just love all of the projects you have that you're working on. I can really relate to just, you know, having a million things happening and just they all look so amazing. Um, But I was wondering (laughs) if, uh, can you talk a little bit about what first got you into outdoor plants? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I have an extensive history with plants and I grew up with them. I mean, my dad was a landscaper. Every corner of my life was surrounded with plants. They were in the house and and I, I would spend every weekend as a child in my dad's uh, greenhouses. He worked uh, 
he owned a wholesale nursery. So there are these massive hoop houses just full of hanging baskets and, and just like carpets of flowers that I got to see almost every day of my childhood. And that was kind of the beginnings for me that almost everywhere I turned as a kid, there were always plants, there were flowers, there were, you know, my hands were dirty. I was helping my father in the garden. And so those were my first experiences. And I didn't really get into plants as an adult. It was like one of those things that you revisit later in life. And it wasn't until I was about to graduate college and I was feeling kind of existential and meaningless and sort of like I'm wading through this void. And so as a lot of people tend to do, especially now, plants filled that void for me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I completely forgot how much joy plants had brought me during my upbringing. That's amazing. I mean, yeah, your childhood sounds, I mean, from this perspective, obviously I didn't live it, but it sounds so amazing. And I'm sure everyone's <laughs> like, you got to live in a greenhouse for a while. Like that sounds yeah. so cool. But yeah, I totally understand that, you know, revisiting things, you know, we kind of ebb and flow out of things and coming back to them, you know, a little later in life. And just, it's such a great feeling to kind of rediscover that kind of joy and sense of mystery with something. Yeah. So I know you're obviously very into the, into plants, but then you've also taken it a step further and you've gotten into hybridizing your own plants. And so I was wondering like, what, what caused that jump for you? Um, I know you had this like <laughs> variegated monstera plant that I've seen you talk about. Was that kind of like your first, your first one? Like what got you into all this? Well, so for me, uh, you know, kind of back to that revisiting things as an adult made, I make it my day-to-day -day goal to have this sort of childlike excitement about the world. And so I view everything almost as if it's an opportunity to tinker and that means everything like even when I had plants I couldn't just let plants be I started thinking about how could I tinker with plants how could I make plants feel like I'm digging through a lego box and that I can sort of just get creative like you know the world is out here in front of us and and that's where you get all these opportunities just based on how you view the world and how you interact with it and so for me I have this habit of always tinkering Anytime I pick up a hobby, anytime I find something new, I don't want to just engage with what's been put in front of me. I, I want to make it my own. And so when I got into plants, you know, it, it was exciting. And then I realized pretty quickly that, you know, if you just go to all your regular plant stores, your plant experience gets kind of minimal. At some point, it sort of hits an average and then there's nothing new or exciting unless you look. So I started getting into unusual plants. And on top of that, when I would go shopping for unusual plants, I would meet the people who grow these unusual plants. And these people who grow unusual plants also tend to tinker. And so I would hear about all these hybrids. Someone would show me a plant that they made. And I was like, you made a plant? And, and I remember thinking back to high school biology, right? Remember that little chart you had to make that was like, if you cross bred a red flower and a white flower and then you'd make a pink flower oh, yeah, the, some the of squares. them yeah. <laughs> yeah and I, I remember thinking I was like I remember learning about this but of course high school science just drains all the fun out of everything so uh, I was like how can I take that, that idea and apply it to something I give a damn about and so I started looking to hybridizing succulents I was like why not you know I have a greenhouse and they're all flowering hybrids happen on accident so what if I'm able to 
purpose. And I just sort of went down this rabbit hole of spending night after night in the greenhouse, cross pollinating things, and then just taking notes. And then five months later, when the, when the seed was ripe or the flowers were dry, I would see if there was seed and I would sow it and cross my fingers, something would come up. And most of the time, nothing would come up. But every now and then I would get a very odd hybrid that would come up. And I've only been doing this for about three years and I just, after you make your first hybrid, you're just kind of like, oh my God, like plants are just this Lego box that we get to mess around with. Nature tinkers around all the time. And, and we, I feel like as humans should get back to mimicking nature. And so that was my first steps into hybridizing. And then once you make one, it's like, oh my God, I just made a plant. And then it's all over from there. <laughs> that sounds, yeah, that sounds incredibly addictive and like I can hear the joy in your voice <laughs> when you're talking about it and I'm like oh now I want to do this <laughs> oh yeah no I think I, I mean that I I just I like what was the last spring I was getting really into peppers I got into like like urban gardening for a minute and I was getting into peppers and I had a friend of mine who was like I just hybridized these black and purple peppers I was like what he was like yeah I had black peppers and purple peppers and I crossed them and then the offspring is black with purple stripes and I was like what and people do this stuff all the time and so it's really just like a bunch of paint brushes literally that's what you pollinate with sometimes but it's like making art in my mind you know, when you're making a hybrid, you can generally have a good idea of what the offspring will look at look like based on the the phenotypes of the parents, which are the traits that you can see. Uh, and so you you can kind of almost guess what the child of two different plants would look like. And then the fun part is seeing how close or how drastically incorrect you were. That's so cool. Yeah. So, okay. I don't need more projects in my life, but I think I maybe <laughs> just got one. <laughs> no, do it, do it, do it. You yeah. can always squeeze in one more project. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, one of the big reasons I wanted to bring you on, uh, you mentioned people kind of, especially this year, finding that join plants is that I know a lot of people have gotten into having indoor plants during this pandemic but now we're heading into winter. Um, so I've started seeing memes that are kind of like poking fun at all these new plant parents who are like freaking out, like, you know, how to take care of their plants over winter. Maybe you can impart some wisdom and maybe calm down some of our nervous listeners out there. How do we need to keep our plants alive over the next few months? Okay, so I'm going to offer some some advice that's going to seem at, yeah, back. Am I allowed to curse on this thing? Yeah, we, we can throw a, <laughs> throw a content warning on there. It's all good. Go for it. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to say it's completely ass backwards, but <laughs> my first thing I tell anyone, a new plant parent, is if you want to learn how to care for plants, you got to kill a couple of plants. You're not, the best way to care for plants is hands-on experience. That sounds so trite and cliche, but Pinterest isn't going to tell you anything that's useful. And, and I'm certainly not going to tell you much that's useful that that you're that's very specific because what works for me works for me for maybe a couple of different reasons my climate my zone my conditions my my plants my regimen all of it uh, the best thing you can always do first off is to do your best and then when things die take notes because that's where it's that's the most important bit is when your plants decline that's the best information you're going to get you're not going to get that much good information when your plants are just sort of doing what they're supposed to do which is grow and so go into the winter 
don't have high hopes. Don't think you're going to keep all of them alive. Some of them might die as the light, the, the, the daylight lengths shorten and temperatures drop. And maybe you're frantically shifting plants away from the vents when you turn your heater on, like you're going to kill some plants. Uh, and so some of the best experience you can get is from that. Now, the other thing I would say is plants by and large, they can kind of cope with whatever environment you give them and they, they'll do their best. And so I always, always encourage note-taking every step of the way. Now, there are some things that I would look out for. Like I mentioned vents. A lot of people will put their plants right under a ceiling vent or an air duct and all of a sudden their plants turning yellow and wilting and so well yeah it's getting blasted with hot air not just hot air but maybe hot dusty air or maybe you have mold or fungus in your air ducts or something like whatever's in your your ventilation system or in your air ducts that's getting blown onto your plant so it's always uh, important to note where you place them during times that you are, you know, using your thermostat. The other thing too is be very considerate of light levels. So you're going to have less daylight. uh, And so you want to be very considerate of where you put your plants to optimize how much light they get. Another thing is you may notice some of your plants might slow down during the winter. For my Monstera, uh, they almost put up no new growth for like probably starting December till early March, I will see minimal growth. And so that can startle some people. And really all that is, is plants need to rest too, especially when they're grown in environments that are not their natural habitat. And so if you notice some sort of stasis in your plants, don't panic. There's less light. And so that's a big indicator. And also you're probably going to be watering less since you're noticing less growth. And so it's, everything's going to kind of slow down and, and that's completely and totally normal for new plant parents. And you, know, you get a couple of years into growing plants and you start to understand the patterns that your plants require and the patterns they go through. And you almost can kind of just expect what, anticipate what your plants will do say next winter. And you just kind of start to learn to communicate with your plants once you get through a couple of seasons with them. But I think most importantly, if you kill some plants, don't beat yourself up over it. It is the best way to learn. I, the most I've learned was from killing, you know, a $60 plant. Like that's when I really sat down and said, oh, I need to take some notes because I don't want that to happen again. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's all amazing advice. And especially, you know, thank you for saying that, yes, you're going to have some casualties, especially as you get started with this and Mm -hmm. don't let it deter you. But also I think it's really important to point out what you said about understanding that plants are going to slow down. This is a rest period. And yeah, be patient. Don't like throw your plant out or assume that it needs more like water. I think like overwatering is a thing with all of us like being home, right? It's something I think a lot of people do. And I certainly did is when your plants slow down, you're like, oh, I better crank up the fertilizer and better water every other day. It's like, no, 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 no. Your plant is trying to chill out. Do not make it do anything. Like just let it be. You know, as long as the plant's not dying and wilting, there's no problems. That's what I always say. Like, the plant's going to do what it's going to do, and the best you can give it is what you got. And so 
if it's growing at a rate that's unsatisfactory, then sure, maybe shift it to another window or move it around. But if you're giving it the best you got and it's not dying, then I mean, you know, that's, that's all you're going to get out of that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think with social media and everyone sharing their beefy, beautiful plants, we have this mentality, we have these expectations of our personal plants. And we got to remember that the growers we follow are not always showing the wilting yellow monster they're hiding in the back corner. That's just begging for death. Like they're not sharing their screw ups. (laughs) Right. I mean, we talk about in general with people, you know, don't compare yourself to someone's Instagram because you're seeing the top moments of their life. And that goes for plant Instagrams also, right? Oh God. Yeah. Plant Instagram is just, it's just like, I'm sorry. It's just like (laughs) vapid selfies with your most beautiful poached plant, you know, like there's very little conversation about plants and their origins and, and even how we screw up with plants. It's just always like, look at me, be jealous for five minutes and that's kind of plant Instagram right now. Not all of it, but the stuff you see and the stuff that is made really visible is just the that envy machine that makes social media so successful. But when it makes it into plants, it's almost like, oh, God, this wasn't supposed to happen to plants. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. And one of the things I enjoy about following you on Instagram and your stories is that it feels very real. Like you're like, oh, this didn't come out right, you know, and um, (laughs) it's it's refreshing to see that because that was one of the things uh, with this podcast in particular, like when I got started in herbalism herbalism and homesteading, I was like, I'm going to tell you all the stuff I screw up (laughs) and Mm -hmm. hopefully that's helpful for someone. But yeah, you mentioned like note keeping as being like really important for people when they start growing plants and like getting to know the cycles of their individual plants. And that's actually like how I came across your work was a friend shared a post about your grow a damn journals, which I think Mm. are just such an amazing resource. Can you talk a little bit about them and like what inspired you to make them and kind of like the reception that those have gotten? Yeah. So I I had this idea early greenhouse rants day days. uh, I had this idea. I was like, man, I'm getting into hybridizing and I I grow a lot of plants from seed that for me, I have a lot of, uh, I get a lot of joy out of growing plants from seed. However, what that does is it brings up this opportunity for mutations or huge crops of like just hundreds and hundreds of plants. It's very exponential. And I was like, I need a way to keep track of all of this. And even the plants that I know nothing about, when I screw up, I want to document that. And so I went searching for a plant journal and I, you know, you could buy a blank journal, but I was like, I want something that is a little more guided. And the things I did find were way, way too specific. Like, like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like I I couldn't personalize it. It almost felt like someone made a journal just for them. And and it was, was not like something other growers could adopt. So I was like, we need like a blank template, something that is almost a source book for your garden. And I was like, if I could find something that and funny enough, I was like, if I could find something that felt like the Pokedex, like like the, the Pokemon Pokedex <laughs> version of plants, like if I could find a way to just have the same template and just document my plants, like my own personal database, that's what we need. It needs to be made by a grower who knows what other people need and what plants need. So I said this on my podcast, I had a couple people say, why don't you just make it? And I was like, oh, I guess I could. 
so I spent about a year designing it and then got around to it. And this year, like right before COVID just took off, I uh, was like, guys, I made it. I designed it. Here it is. And I did the Kickstarter and it was funded in about 15 minutes, which was insane. And amazing. Uh, they, I sold out of the first edition and then, uh, you know, then COVID happened and it was just chaos, chaos, chaos. And I ordered a second edition and I've already sold like total of 5,000 copies. And I just had no idea other people would need this as much as I did. And people love it. Like I, I people send me their little entries all the time and it makes me very happy that so many uh, of us are using this, this little thing that, uh, I needed. So it really started with out of necessity. It was like, man, this is something I could really use. And enough people said, we could use the same thing. You should make that for us. And I was like, I would be an idiot to not, when you have a thousand people tell you they'll buy something you're going to make, you'd be an idiot to not make it. So that was kind of the push was the support behind that idea. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I knew it was well received because I've seen so many people, you know, posting their photos with it and, and utilizing it. I had no idea that you had, you know, had mul- you know, multiple pl- print runs and everything and um, that it had sold out that quickly on Kickstarter. Um, yeah, that's just incredible. And it's, I think it's a real testament to just like necessity, like you said, but also just like amazing timing too, where like everyone suddenly was yeah. like, well, we're stuck at home. We're going to get these plants. And, and it just came in during this year where like so much feels out of our control, but like, at least we can document like what our plants are doing. Like we can't even really control yeah. that necessarily, but I can at least <laughs> no. like keep a little plant journal, you know? <laughs> yeah, it did. It did feel like good timing. And I didn't even expect that. Like this year kind of just fell into the abyss and then, uh, you know, the plant market is bonkers right now. And so uh, for me on my end, I'm like, this is, like business-wise, I'm like, this is the best time to sell a plant journal. Uh, and so it's just, it's worked out really, really well. And, uh, and what's funny is I've been so busy, I haven't even gotten to use the journal. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Which is totally fine. But I'm like, like we had this huge, the post office, that whole defunding thing, and the post office lost like 300 copies of my journal. And I've just been like, playing catch up. And I was like, my wife was like, dude, you, you need to not work for like a week and use your own journal. I was like, I can't can't use it till everyone else has theirs first. So (laughs) that's kind of been like where I'm at, but I'm hoping at the end of this year, I can sit down and really dive into my own journal. Um, I'm just as excited as everyone else. Yeah. I also hope you get that chance. (laughs) That's, that's wild. So one of the things I've seen you talk about that I really appreciated was kind of pushing back against just like how expensive some of these plants can be for people (laughs) that want to get into having plants. And so I think it's really neat that you're, you know, demoing so many cool things about like how to start propagating your own plants, either, you know, from cuttings or from seed. So if anyone out there listening who is just like, yeah, I can't afford a $60 house plant, any advice for people that want to start trying to propagate plants, if maybe they can get a cutting from a friend or something? Yes. So I do, I do, of course, got to double down on the rant here. Uh, (laughs) Do it. I'm so, I just... I've said it a thousand times and I'll say it till the meteor just crashes through my home and kills me. Plants are not meant, this is not what is supposed to happen. I mean, 
you're seeing someone sent me an email asking if I could sell a cutting of a non-variegated, just a regular ass Monstera. Cause when they tried to get was like 150 to $200 when two years ago, this was a $20 plant you could buy, buy in a five gallon bucket at Home Depot. And so the market's going up, but all the supply is there. It's just, I, it's like a fixed sort of thing. And it, it doesn't make sense. People are, people can't afford a lot of the plants now, you know, and the accessibility is declining rapidly. And so I have been trying to push back against this narrative of guys, we should not be perpetuating this market. Plants are not a rare resource. I use the term rare plants. I did in the past and I'm now learning that that term is just such a empty, empty thing. It, a thing cannot be rare if it can be propagated and exponentially increased. The, the definition of rare just doesn't work anymore. And so I've always pushed people to propagate their plants. And one of my reasons and examples is, is you mentioned I had this variegated Monstera and I have this variegated Monstera that's not really like anything else on the market. And I've had people, thousands of people reach out to me for this plant. They've begged me for this plant. They've made it just absolutely ridiculous offers and in a message to fight that I've shifted my aim toward propagating that Monstera in mass so that I could offer it at a reasonable price. And so I had this one Monstera and over the last three years I've propagated it. And I now have uh, at the end of this year, I'll have 90 of this Monstera. And, and then by the end of next year, I'll have 400. And so I always push for propagating because it makes plants accessible and you can mm -hmm. turn one plant into dozens and dozens and dozens with enough time and patience. And then you can trade them or sell them at a reasonable price rather than sort of making this fake narrative that plants are rare. Uh, they're rare in habitat because we keep poaching them because prices are so high. So that, that the only rare plants are naturally occurring ones. Uh, and that's because the plant market is so ridiculous right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would love to give some tips on propagating. Please do. And and yeah, I just, <laughs> everything you just said, like, you can't see me, but I'm just like nodding. I'm just like, yes, like, <laughs> it just drives me, drives me wild because I just like, there's no need for it. And this is not what plants are supposed, like <laughs> plants are for everyone. Like, yeah. you know, like I'm an herbalist, like plant medicine is for everyone. It's the people's medicine by extension, like, yeah, like what you're saying, none of these plants are rare or they shouldn't be. And if they're rare, it's because we've yeah. <laughs> done that ourselves. Um, but yeah, so yeah, any, any tips or advice for people I think would be awesome. So it depends on the plant. I mean, there's so many different ways to propagate plants. Um, I'll just give some general stuff that might apply to some of the, your listeners that may just not be getting into plants. Uh, I'm assuming if you're just getting into plants, basic propagation tips are going to be the best thing for you. So let's just take succulents, for example. Uh, if you take any standard succulent, most of them can be propagated via leaf cutting or stem cutting. So an echeveria, those are those soft pastel rosette clusters that you see. Uh, it's like your standard go-to Pinterest succulent. Uh, an echeveria can be propagated through a stem cutting or a leaf cutting. There's a benefit to either one. So if you take a leaf cutting, what you're doing is you are plucking leaves off of the rosette and each leaf has the potential to turn into a 
a full plant. That leaf tip where you ripped it off the stem has all the hormones needed to send out roots, to form um, offshoots and buds, and then to flower. It, it will turn into a full plant. So if you have a mature echeveria that has around 30 leaves and you want to get real bold, you could rip off every single leaf from that plant, stick it in soil, and just watch it closely. And if you do it right, you'll have 30 plants in very little time. Now, you could also take a stem cutting, which is would take that top rosette and snip it off. You don't remove any of the leaves. You just remove that whole head and you could stick that in soil and that stem will send out roots. The benefit to that is you're propagating a more established plant. And then the stem that you had removed that's now beheaded and missing a head, uh, oftentimes a lot of clusters will grow off of that stem. And so when you see these clusters of succulents on one stem, it's because someone cut the head off and all these new growth points ar arose at once. Uh, same with the crashula genus. You could rip off crashula leaves and root them out, or you could cut a crashula in half. You could also do either way. You could behead it and remove the lower leaves and plant those and then stick the head with now a more uh, visible stem in the soil. And you could have three different propagation methods going at once. Uh, the, the trick with propagating them is you kind of have to baby them. They're not going to hate you if you give them a little bit of a little bit more moisture than normal because uh, they have these delicate roots that are completely new that kind of need to be tended to and they're, they're not going to come out as hardy and brutal as the mother plant will uh, with succulents. Uh, another method of propagating is a thing called coring. If you want to get real crazy, uh, there's a thing in, in succulents where you take a hot drill or a hot needle or a hot rod and you drive it down the merry stem of the plant. So you destroy the central growth point. And what this means now is that the plant can no longer grow upwards. It has to grow outward. And so if you, you can look this up, but if you take a hot, like a, a red hot rod and shove it into a barrel cactus, uh, it will send out dozens of pups um, all around the side of the plant because it can no longer grow upward because you destroyed the growth tip. So there's all kinds of ways to. <laughs> I've to, never heard of that. <laughs> it's, it's gnarly. And the thing with succulents is they hold water, right? So when you're like ramming this hot rod down the succulent, it's like hissing and sizzling and bubbling. And you're like, oh shit. Oh my God. Oh, God, it's so brutal. <laughs> and then the plant, I mean, we can't hear the plant screams, which is good for us, but give it a couple months and all of a sudden you have like 30 babies. Um, so that's kind of my go-to for succulents. Now for house plants, it's not, there are not a whole lot of house plants I'm aware of that you can take a single leaf. Uh, Peperomia, you can do this. So you can take off one leaf, cut it in half and stick both halves in soil. But my go-to propagation method for house plants are stem cuttings. So for a monstera, for instance, or a, um, uh, philodendron, they have these stems and each segment of the stem has a leaf node and a, a node for roots. And so what you can do is take segmented cuttings. So if say I take a monstera, has eight leaves, probably has like a two foot long stem. Each leaf on the opposite side will have an aerial root node and underneath the leaf will have a new node for new growth. So say if this plant were to be damaged in a tropical storm or snapped in half, the plant won't die. There's another node that will branch out and form a whole new stem. 
Um, so they have these self-defense mechanisms just in case nature gets a little crazy. And so we take advantage of that. So you can cut the stems and then root those out. And my go-to methods for rooting, and there's a lot of just, you know, very extravagant methods you'll see on Instagram. I water root all of my cuttings. I use fresh rainwater, not always fresh. I have rain barrels and I use whatever rainwater I have or distilled water. And I take my fresh cuttings and I place them immediately in jars full of water. Give it a month or so and you'll have a whole jar full of roots. Uh, and it works great. And once you have enough roots, you can take that plant, put it in well-draining soil and bam, you've turned one monstera into eight. Um, and then guess what? In a two, two years or so, you turn those eight into eight more. And you can see kind of how someone could take a collection and turn it into a jungle pretty quickly. Yeah, no, definitely can see like how you're up to, you know, 90 of those variegated monstera now, like pretty, you know, it sounds like it's just a matter of time and patience more than anything, yeah. right? Yeah. And, um, you know, you could, I mean, if you're listening to this, like look to your left or right, and I guarantee you whatever plant you're looking at, there's a way to turn that one plant into two plants. And a lot of people don't really like propagating. I think it scares some people to take their beloved plant and decapitate it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I encourage it because here's the thing. If you want to be good at plants, you got to understand the full capabilities of these plants. And there is a real satisfaction. There's a real satisfaction from taking a plant you love holding your breath and closing the blades on the scissors and then just separating the two cuttings and watching one plant turn into two. Like if you want to understand plants, you got to understand all of it. And how can you understand the self-defense mechanisms or the coping mechanisms or how a plant even grows from trauma? How can you understand any of that unless unfortunately you induce some of that trauma and then you can watch how the roots grow and you go, oh, that's where those roots come from. Or you can see where a new growth point comes from and you're like, oh, that's how it, you know, there's so many aha moments that come with propagating that you miss out on. I haven't done much propagation myself, but um, about two years ago, I stayed in an Airbnb for an herbal conference and the people I stayed with, like their house was like full of plants and they were talking to me about them. And uh, they were like, oh, you should take, you know, one of these plants. It was called leaf of life was the name of the plant. Mm. And so they like handed me a pair of scissors and they're like, yeah, just cut a leaf off and then you can take it home with nice. you and propagate it. And so I'm like, you know, standing in front of these people's like beloved plant with a pair of scissors. And I was like, oh, like what? <laughs> and I was like, all right, but you know what? I took it home. Uh, I propagated it. I now have like five of that same plant. It's, and it was nice. like such an awesome experience that I'd never had gotten to have before. So yeah, like you yeah. said, it's, it's great. It's totally worth it. Uh, and another benefit I saw, I, I wish I could remember. I see so much every day. There's, I saw a, a grower I follow and they were open up a public forum for people who were complaining about the uh, lack of diversity in, the, in plant shops. And I've noticed this. I, when I travel, I always go to these new plant shops and they all have the same stuff. It's the same stuff. And they all kind of have the same prices. And I've now familiarized myself with the wholesalers. So I see a plant shop. I'm like, I know exactly where you got all of that, which for me, I'm a snob. I'm always looking for something new. And so when I, that these plant shops sometimes don't cut it for me. They do just fine for like every other type of grower, but I'm always looking for something new. And 
I, I notice other people are. And so this conversation starting to come up where there's nothing new because the people selling plants have been propagating the same plants for so long that that's just what they have going. That's what they can, that's what the quantities of. They didn't know that variegated ZZ plants were going to be in, or they didn't know half the aeroids that we love now. They didn't know that that was going to be hot in 20 years. And so to make, to open up the diversity and, and to sort of mix it up a little bit at these plant shops, we have to propagate. The people who have the interesting plants, we kind of have to hold our breath and start snipping and then sell our cuttings or trade them. And so I'm in the process of uh, rooting out hundreds of variegated ZZ leaves so I can trade my stock to other growers who are growing things I don't have. And we can kind of add a beautiful diversity to the plant market because some of us are like, you know what? Someone needs to just pull the trigger and just start snipping our plants. So I've kind of taken it upon myself to do that so that hopefully in you know five to seven years, plant shops will all have something a little fun and unique that you can't just find at your standard shop that buys from the same wholesalers in Florida. Yeah, I love that. And I could not agree more. Um, for me, it's like, you know, trading seeds back and forth with people mm-hmm. in kind of a similar way. Just always like, on the hunt for like interesting seeds that I haven't grown before. And also just like collecting the stories behind them. And yeah, I, I think we need just so much more of that. So I love, I love that you're, you're doing that. I want to be respectful of your time, um, but I just have a few more questions before we wrap up. Yeah. One of the things I really love to talk to people about, you mentioned like your wife talking about how you needed to take time to rest and to get to use your own journal. You have so many different, like amazing projects going on, plus, you know, spending time with your family. And so I just always like to ask people, you know, how do you keep all these different things going and, you know, how do you keep it balanced and and still find that time to nourish yourself? Well, I'm not, I'm not the best at it. Uh, and one of my tricks that has worked for me is I, I'm so fascinated by everything. I almost can't help it, but to like just dive into something. And so I've made sure that all the things I love doing, I've made sure that they're all connected. And so there's kind of self-feeding. So, you know, when I'm out in the greenhouse looking at my plants, I'm looking at the next thing I probably might illustrate or while I'm illustrating something, I'll be listening to music that might inspire the music I might make. And when I go hiking and I'm looking for caves and um, all this stuff, it's inspiring what I'm going to create in my lab. And what I create in my lab oftentimes comes from material that I'm illustrating. Like it all is connected um, to some degree. So there's never a lull in between my projects because right when I'm at the apex or at the, the, the peak of one project, I'm already knowing what the next one will be because that one has inspired another facet of my creativity. And so that's kind of how I manage my time is like, I don't have, I, I don't really have much time where I'm just sitting around tr- like struggling to think of something to make or something to create. I've kind of made this little terrarium of projects that all nourish one another. And so time management gets really easy that way. And I also do a lot of this stuff in front of my, in front of my family. You know, I, we all hike together. I'm in the greenhouse with my son. Um, I'm look, I'm messing with plants and Nova's like waddling behind me also messing plants with me. And so I want to include my family, my son in this stuff because it blows his mind like all the time. He's always like, 
you know, Dadu, show me, he wants me to show him a bug in a jar. He calls it bugs in a jar because all, all my lab is just jars full of like bugs that are doing weird things. And so <laughs> I've just sort of made sure it all is incorporated and there's not much that's very separate, which doesn't work for everyone, but I'm kind of living my life. Like my creativity is my day-to-day life, um, which when it's that way, it's very easy to manage time. It's enjoyable to be quote unquote busy because it's, it's all stuff you love doing. That's beautiful. I, I hope everyone can get to that point. And also anyone listening to this, if you're not already following Tyler on Instagram, Nova is adorable. You can check out <laughs> Tyler's story. Um, he's pretty, he's pretty damn cute. Yeah. He's yeah. It's, it's worth it right there. Even if there was no other information <laughs> or anything else, like just those stories of, of Nova alone are just so, so adorable. <laughs> so Tyler, where can people find you to follow your work? Uh, and do you have any upcoming projects or offerings that you'd like to share or talk about? Yeah. Uh, so you can find me anywhere, really. Um, <laughs> TylerThrasher.com is where I put all my stuff, uh, music, experiments, product, everything. Instagram, it's TylerThrasherArt. And uh, hopefully, and cross my fingers, I'm really trying to make some things work, but I'm hoping to move toward having a public space in the next year or two and begin work on a public conservatory so you could literally physically find me hopefully in a building where you can see my plants my experiments and we can maybe sit down over a coffee and talk crazy crazy things that's kind of my life goal and dream and so i'm starting that now there's no reason to wait so hopefully if the world keeps going and i keep selling crystallized dead shit and go in that direction i can be able to offer a space um, to the people that follow and love my work. As for upcoming projects, I'm, I'm getting ready for a huge holiday drop. I've been crystallizing snail shells nonstop. So I have troughs of crystallized snail shells that uh, people seem to be really excited about. And I'm uh, in the process, I've shared some snippets on my Instagram. I'm in the process of making transparent insects. Uh, I'm I'm hoping to make insects that are invisible and then I'm gonna stuff them with flowers or I'm gonna open opalize them and coat them in synthetic opal. So playing with light and chemistry and botany and histology and, and biology, all of it together to make uh, floralized insects or opalized insects. Those are two of my recent obsessions that uh, I've been sh- sort of sharing snippets of. Wow. Yeah. You have so much going on and I, so much. <laughs> it's so cool. Like I, yeah, I love all of it. Tyler also has a podcast called greenhouse rants, which you yes. will laugh so hard at just the intro alone is amazing <laughs> as well as the rest of the show. Uh, he's also into like music. You can go to his website and he has this really awesome kind of chill remix of milkshake that I've been like listening to nonstop <laughs> for the last two weeks. Um, so yeah, um, oh my god! We will link all of that up in the show notes for sure. Uh, with with uh, <laughs> everywhere to find you, Tyler. But thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your info. Um, I think people are going to be really excited to follow up and see all your cool upcoming projects. Yeah, thank you, Sarah, too, for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. <laughs> I really loved getting to chat with Tyler. His passion and enthusiasm is so contagious and you can really just feel the joy he brings into all of his projects. And I hope whatever you work on that you have that same joy and that his info on taking care of your indoor plants will be helpful as well. 
As always, I invite you to come connect with me on Instagram at Fox and Elder or over on the website at foxandelder.com. If you want to support the show, please share it with a friend, subscribe, rate, review. Think about joining our Patreon if you feel like it. You'll get snail mail from me every month. Who doesn't like getting some happy mail once in a while? And you'll also get to be part of our community chats and you'll receive 10% off our farm store. Stay well out there. I'm rooting for you. I'll be back next week with another interview. This one is going to be all about seed saving. And I think you'll get a lot out of that as well. Until next time, keep your hands dirty and your heart open.